0: Trade Deadline Pass. Bring on the Count and Chris Mannix, SI. He spoke to Will Hardy, and he speaks to me about the trade deadline and what happened in the Western Conference. This is Roundball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number three one one two Equal Housing Lender. So this is the most absurd team since 2004 for the Jazz. Post-Stockton, post-Malone, all Jerry Sloan, all Carlos Arroyo, prepping to kick the U.S.'s butt in Athens in 04. Their leading scorer was Andre Karolenko, and he barely edged out Matt Harpering. And going into the year, the win total over-under... 25-and-a-half, they won 42 games. Narrowly missed the playoffs. This year, win total over-under, 23-and-a-half, and they've already hit it. And last night was the clincher for how hilarious that this team is. Post-trade deadline, down four rotation players, and Jordan Clarkson. What's going on in Utah? The meme that began the sensation... The Jazz send Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt to L.A., Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker head to Minnesota, and the Jazz get Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, and a lightly protected 2027 first-round pick from the Lakers. And that right there is the biggest thing, the pick. I'm sure when LeBron signs his extension with the Lakers, it comes with an assurance that They're going to do something with that team because they weren't good enough to make the playoffs last year. They're not good enough right now. They're in the playing zone. And so they need shooting around LeBron, and the Jazz had one of the most coveted shooters in the entire market. They pried one of the best prizes available out there in terms of draft capital because L.A.'s 2027 and then the 2029 – were the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights. Rob Palenka did not want Nicolas Cage stealing either of those. And Lakers always have a chance to be good because geography. They can attract free agents. But good luck building post-LeBron. How they build post-stars retiring, they don't know what they're doing. And maybe he's still playing in 2027. But he will be 42 adding to the scoring record, which was a good moment this year. But after LeBron leaves, it takes some time to get back into contention. And they don't have first-rounders to do that. The pick they have now is going to New Orleans. And Utah has a treasure trove. That's how their rebuild is going. Ainge can Scrooge McDuck into a pool of picks. 15 unprotected, lightly protected picks from now until 2029. It'll be them, New Orleans, OKC, taking players in the draft. Adam Silver saying those three team names every single year. And getting that pick sets up a deal that they could make later. You take it, you could flip it. It's optionality. 15 means they can do the four unprotected first rounders for a superstar. They can do that three times over. And the Jazz have tremendous currency to spend as a result of the trade. As for players, you have to start with Mike Conley. Because he might be one of the best players that I've seen in the Jazz uniform since covering the team. Him, Rudy, Donovan, then Mike. Mike's right there. And I remember that first press conference where they introduced him in Las Vegas alongside Boyan Bogdanovich. He was Dennis Lindsay's big swing. Dennis wanted a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. And with Mike Conley, he got it. He got it. Two years in a row. Last year and the year before. The first place in the West record. They did it. Dennis built the team. He did the thing. And now all the starters are gone. But holy hell was it fun to watch Mike Conley play. He was playing with so much confidence he was surgical in the way that he was cutting defenses up. You know He got into such a groove that he Steph Curry to pass out there. It was a Phoenix game where he no looks it to Malik Beasley and just walks back as if he's the coolest guy in the room. He was unreal this season, and it's amazing, even as he's lost step athleticism-wise, maybe. He's lost steps athletically. His floor game and reading has been as good as ever this season. It's career high in assists he's averaging this year. It's because he's in lockstep with Will Hardy. He's an extension of that coach. He brings that level head to a group that needs it. In clutch time, they relied on Mike Conley, and now he won't be there. And the same goes for contributing for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. For Mike, it's going to be offensive, and he's going to help Minnesota tremendously because he has a good chemistry with Rudy. When Nikhil Alexander-Walker can affect a game defensively, and I'm I'm sure he's a rotation player in the right situation. Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, they're paired once again, and they'll try to help out the Lakers, but I don't think that's fixable. That being said, they both actually give L.A. what they need. Vanderbilt? Some energy. Sorely lacking from their bigs. And then Malik Beasley shooting. It's pretty simple. He has a very transferable skill. And it's in demand everywhere. As for the players coming back, Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones. On the Hooper basketball player scale, JTA's a basketball player. He plays well when he's surrounded by people who know what they're doing. Steph, Steph, Draymond, he got that Warriors read and react brain and he fit in around them. He did a tremendous interview with real ones over at the Ringer where he was talking about his path to the NBA and it is one that you can't not admire. You have to. You have to admire it. Let's circumvent that double negative. He's amazing in that interview. I truly can't tell you how much you have to listen to it because I admire him so much. He rules, and I can't wait to see him on this team. And he'll join them tonight in New York. Damian Jones, on the other hand, he's a big. He needs to get more minutes so that it can be determined what he is because he's a question mark for me right now. Get him more action on the floor, and you'll figure it out. And that's going to be the story of this Jazz team the rest of the way. They need more time on the floor. They need more action because Mike Conley was a safety blanket. He's the perfect traditional point guard, a throwback that you do not see very often nowadays. He was more Stockton than Arroyo, just to bring it full circle. But there are going to be more opportunities. Taylor Horton Tucker is going to get a shot. Colin Sexton is going to get his shot. He's going to be a starter the rest of the way. As this opens up minutes, it worked last night against Toronto. Check back the rest of the way. Five stars, nice views, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. I didn't mention Russell Westbrook because his situation's still up in the air and I've been informed that they've had conversations with his representation back and forth. You'll get more details on it when Justin Zanuck joins the show on Monday. There you go, how's that for a little tease? He's gonna talk about Russ, that situation, and give more insight on the trade deadline and what they did. Because I'm sure his screen time was up there. But as you expect, Russ is going to need some time. He took a lot of flack in L.A., and he took a lot of blame. Even though it was not his fault that he built the team that way. But I asked Mannix about it, and his assumption is that he won't be here. I did want to hear what Chris thought of the potential landing spots for Russ post- a buyout or a wave? What are his options? Will he have any? I asked Max that. So you'll hear his answer. And I will plug his podcast, NBA Crossover Show, because he had Will Hardy on. And you'll want to listen to that interview because it's pretty long. And the setup for Will in that podcast that Chris sent out a teaser for, Will looked like the host. It was a professional looking podcast setup. So that's what interested me into talking to Chris mostly. And that's where we start. Once again, check out his show, The NBA Crossover for Sports Illustrated. He is Chris Mannix on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's
1: always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving & Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving & Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. It certainly felt a lot different than I think all of the previous podcasts because his setup was significantly better than mine. I mean, I created a studio basically in the attic of my condo, whereas he had all the might and power of the Utah Jazz AV department uh, constructing his, which look, I, I, I think it's tremendous. I think you'd, You get better interviews when you're in comfortable professional settings. So I was grateful certainly for that. And, uh, But yeah, I think uh, Utah wins the whatever award you want to hand out for best podcast setup in the game.
0: What was your main takeaway from that? Because for me, I'm glad that an English major can rise to the heights of an NBA coach, but you were able to get him for about 40 minutes. What did you take away from speaking to Will Hardy?
1: Yeah, I've always known that Will was a really bright guy, a rising star in this business. Um, I got to know him a little bit during his one year with the Celtics at Boston where I'm based. And, you know, you knew whether it was this year, the next year, somebody was going to snatch him up as a head coach because he just has a great mind uh, for the game. I mean, what I I, there are a lot of things you take away from a conversation like that, but I I thought – his kind of absorption of all the positive things and the productive things from his two previous stops, you know, the 11 years working with Greg Popovich. He didn't just work with Greg Popovich, he learned from Greg Popovich. Um, one year under Ime Udoka and, you know, during a roller coaster season, I think he learned a lot from that about how to handle the ups and downs of a season. And I'm sure he's applied some of those lessons to some degree with this jazz team this year, which kind of did the reverse of the Celtics started off really well dipped in December. And are now in kind of this, you know, bit of purgatory at the moment, trying to figure out who's going to be on their team for the rest of the year. But yeah, I, I, I was really impressed that like he, you know, he not only has great experience, but he's learned a lot from that experience. That's, that's made him a better coach.
0: What have you made of the job that he's done so far with a roster that now is going to take another shape come post-trade deadline?
1: Oh, I mean, look, is he still the coach of the year front runner? I don't know because it's tough to vote for a coach of the year for a team that ultimately may not be in the playoffs. He certainly was the favorite in November and December uh, because this Jazz team had zero expectations on it to start the season. They were expected to be right there, hanging with Houston, hanging with San Antonio in the bottom of the Western conference playoff standings. Instead, they had that brief run atop the standings. And look, Lowry Markinen, who was good last year with Cleveland has developed even more this year uh, with Will. And look, I, I think he, he really from day one instilled this mindset in the team that they could win. And look in an 82 game season, you often kind of revert to what you are talent wise and the jazz just don't have the upper level talent that some of the other teams in the conference do. But I I thought he did a remarkable job early on of, of getting this team to believe they could win and not to buy into all the preseason prognostications and um, all the expectations of failure. You know, this team went out early on, expected to win. And look, you know, this like in December, they lost a lot of games, but these are two three-point games, some heartbreakers there in you know December, January. So I, I I give him a lot of credit for keeping this team focused during a very turbulent and trying season.
0: Well, and I'm glad you asked not only Will this, but Danny Ainge earlier on for SI about the angry Ainge memes for the start that <laughs> they had. What was your takeaway from Danny and the way that he saw this team get to its start?
1: Well... <laughs> You know, I, I've known Danny for a very, very long time. And as I said to Will, like when I went and made that call, uh, I knew in some way Danny would kind of like, you know, we were talking over the phone, but I could probably see his face and he'd be like, you know, what are you, stupid? I, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't care that we're, I'm not upset that we're in first place in November, you moron. Like he didn't say that, but I'm sure there's part of it. He them, felt that. Yeah. I mean, Danny and I have had a lot of, basketball conversations over the years and, you know, it doesn't happen often, but whenever we're kind of at an impasse, you know, I can remember at least a couple of times where the conversation ends with like, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's just, and it, uh, and that kind of serves as the breaking point of that talk. Look, Danny is as good as they get as a basketball executive. One thing I like about Danny the most is look, Danny believes that you can be one of two. You should be one of two things in the NBA really good or really bad. Like you'll never be like what the Portland trailblazers are with Danny Ainge as your executive. You'll never be what the Chicago bulls are with Danny Ainge as your executive. He sees zero value in just being a playoff team. That's competitive to sit him. He was a competitor at a high level as a player, a great baseball player when he was even younger. Like this guy is built to win. And if, the way to win big is to lose big then that's what danny's going to do but he's not going to he, he's not going to you know be upset at you know a first place standings in november and like it, it was topical because you know like i said and like you you brought up you know the angry age memes were everywhere it's like oh danny's got to be pissed off danny's got to be this he wasn't no it's it's november and you know things change over the course of a season and um you know we can get into this, but like he did exactly what I expected him to do at the trade deadline, which was you know, shed and dismantle the roster in the mission to pursue more draft picks.
0: What did you make of that three teamer? Because clearly, on its face, you lose Mike Conley, you're going to be a worse team. He's so consistent, he's so he's a throwback because he's a traditional point guard, gets you set. He was so crucial to them in late games. What would you make of the deal that they made to send out Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, some of the parts that everybody knew were in discussions and finally got dealt.
1: I thought it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it makes the jazz, you know, measurably worse in the short term, but they pick up that first round draft pick in 2027. And assuming the Lakers are not catastrophically bad, then that should convey Uh, To them, they get Conley's contract off the books, which sets up, I think, what close to $60 million in potential cap space next year. And then that's not like Danny's not going to go out and sign like Chris Middleton and or Fred Van Vliet to long term contracts. But what you can do when you have that much cap space is, you know, kind of be a way station for teams. You can take on, you know, a crappy contract or two in an effort to get a first round pick back in return. That's what. I mean, Memphis did that for a couple of years, and it turned out to be pretty productive for them because they've become one of the better teams in the league in part because of their great drafting. So that, that's what I expect the Jazz to do in the next year, two years. And, and look, if we're being honest, like losing out the rest of this year is not every game, but losing is is not bad for the long-term health of the franchise because if you can finish in that bottom three or four, you give yourself a chance at Victor Wembayama, or Scoot Henderson or one of the kind of players that Utah would never have a chance of getting otherwise. And that's what it's all about. Like getting that franchise tentpole that you can build around for years to come.
0: What are you looking forward to in the second half when you randomly will watch a Jazz game leak pass from a standpoint of seeing this team without Mike Conley? What are the areas of growth that you could think we'll be able to see?
1: I I love Walker Kessler. Like, and and I'm not a jump on the bandwagon Walker Kessler guy, like, like first week of the season, I saw him doing some things and I'm like, this guy, this something he's got, right? Like he wasn't putting up big numbers, but he had incredible touch and has incredible touch around the rim. And, you know, not to bring Boston back into it, but he has that kind of Kevin McHale-esque quality where he makes the catch high and he doesn't bring it down. That's a bad habit a lot of big men get into Walker Kessler grabs it high and finishes high. It it gives him a great opportunity to get more baskets around the rim. That's a starting center right there. That is a starting center on a playoff team. Like he is going to be that guy, if not better. Uh, So I'm kind of looking to see how he continues to develop probably with more of a role in the offense. Um, He's not going to become a three point shooter this year or like a a consistent one, but yeah, maybe steps out a little bit. Like that's probably a stage And his development as well. So I think he's the guy I'm keeping the closest eye on because he's the one guy on this roster, probably the only guy on this roster, that I would say has, you know, a certainty of being on this team for the next few years.
0: Lowry, maybe? All-star starter,
1: Lowry Markkinen? I think Lowry's, look, he's all-stars. He's a great story and he's an excellent player and you're not trading him like the Jazz didn't just to get draft picks. But at the same time, if you're... Look, Lowry Markkinen was the centerpiece of, in terms of players, of a deal that brought Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland. In the next couple of years, could I see Lowry Markkinen being the centerpiece with picks of a deal to bring someone to Utah? Yeah, absolutely. If they if they draft properly, and you know have some guys in that early twenties range, which Kessler is, and Wembyama would be, and he'd be a teenager, and so does Scoot Henderson. But if you have somebody that kind of fits more to get some of kind of fits more of that timeline. I, that that's what that to me is. What is another value of Lowry marketing beyond what he just brings on the court. He's obviously not, they're not looking to trade him. They, they didn't trade him. Teams were inquiring about him over the last couple of weeks. They weren't looking to do it. Um, but down the line, like, yeah, if you're, if you're building out a certain way, he could be a valuable piece in a trade along with draft picks that gets you back a superstar in return.
0: Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz.
1: most I don't expect Russell Westbrook to play a minute in Utah like there's no real point to it and I don't know that Russ would even want to be in Utah all things considered um you know buyouts. I'm sure there'll be an attempt to talk bio but they can just wave him anyway and you know or you can come to some kind of deal where you know you, you give back a million dollars or whatever he would get on the minimum salary. The next team that he signs with doesn't lose out on any money, but one way or the other, I think Russell Westbrook will get released in the next uh, couple of days. Probably. Um, I don't think the Clippers are realistic for Westbrook. Um, that's a volatile enough team as it is. Like they've got so many guys in and out of the lineup. I don't think they need to add that element into the mix. Um, they made some deals that, that fortified their backcourt, you know, during the, at the trade deadline. So I think they're, I don't think they're gonna get in the Westbrook business. Chicago, I think, will be. Chicago, I think, is the landing spot for Westbrook. Um, you know, Billy Donovan coached him in Oklahoma City. The Bulls have no reason to lose because their draft picks going to Orlando at the end of the year. So why not? Like they lost Lonzo ball. That's been disastrous for them. Um, why not plug and play Russell Westbrook and see if he can ignite a, a bad offense and get them into the playoffs. That's really the objective for the Bulls right now to just get into the postseason and see what can happen. That that to me is not just the favorite. I think that's the only team out there. I don't think Miami's interested. Like I said, I don't think the Clippers are interested. I think it's Chicago or bust for Russell Westbrook. What
0: would you make of the larger, grander scale of the Western Conference having Kyrie, K D shift conferences and see this soft middle and the fact that there hasn't been uh, as much of a widening in the Western Conference that you see so many stars coming over here.
1: Yeah, it's shifted, you know, again, back to the West where a lot of superstars are playing. I'd still argue the two best teams in the NBA are in the East. You know, Boston, Milwaukee, to me, are one-two in any kind of power rankings. Uh, But, you know, the the star power definitely got juiced in the West. I, I don't know what to make of Dallas this year their three most effective offensive players in Luca Kyrie and Christian Wood are awful defensive players. So I don't know how that comes together in, you know, whatever 30 games are left in the regular season. Uh, but moving forward, if, if Kyrie is, you know, somebody that the Mavericks are interested in that, that, that is interesting to have those two paired together for the next three years or so. Um, I, look, I don't know how we can anoint Phoenix like after as a new super team, after watching one crumble, like it, you know, Kevin Durant wasn't the problem in Brooklyn, but it, it didn't work with Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. And a big reason for that was injuries. Well, he's going to a team now that is very injury prone. You know, Booker's missed significant time. Chris Paul has missed significant time and seems to always get hurt right around playoff time. Durant, for some reason, guys keep falling into his knee. So, like, I, you know, th- that's a team I want to see on the court. They lost their best defensive player. In mikhail bridges they lost a terrific you know rotation piece in cam johnson not that those guys aren't replaceable but i don't think it's going to be a seamless transition for kevin durant um in phoenix so I- i'm actually more I- i'm more bullish on what golden state did at the deadline like that's a team that needed a piece off the bench a veteran piece and gary payton is somebody that is familiar with the system won a championship there is a high level defender um they-, they paid a price for it i mean Punting on James Wiseman a few years in, it's a bold move, like, you know, to, to to do something like that. But they knew internally, and I've reported this in the past, like they knew internally they couldn't go into the postseason with these guys. Like they couldn't rely on Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman. Most of the bench guys were just unreliable. So getting Peyton at least stabilizes that and gives them a familiar face that Steve Kirk can turn to.
0: Well, I don't understand what Detroit's doing by landing Wiseman. Cause they already have Durant. How, how is he going to be able to develop there?
1: Right. You know, I, I don't think it's a good question, but the price was so low. Like, right. You know, was it was like Kevin it's Knox. True. like you, you, and you got like, they got $40 million in cap space coming next year. Like they're, you know, they're not going to spend it either. They're not in a position to go chase playoffs, but yeah, if you can be the team that rehabilitates James Wiseman, you know, Maybe you can re-sign him to a contract on the cheap. I don't know. Like on paper, you're right. You know, Jalen Duran is terrific. You know, what's he like? 18, 19? Looks like he's 30. Like it, it, it's. But you know, if you have a chance to bring Wiseman in, you do it, and then you figure everything out else out later. You're not trying to win anything this year. Probably not trying to win much next year. Um, see what you got in this kid, and see if you can unlock the talent that's when you watch him in summer league is is obviously within him.
0: So, where do you put the Warriors compared to Memphis and Denver? Um, Right now, they're behind
1: them, I think. Memphis, you know, there's been some reporting that they did try to go all in for guys like Ananobi and Michaela Bridges. The fact is they didn't get them. And I think that's disappointing because Memphis really could have used one of those two guys who, you know, would have been a defender on the perimeter, which they need, would have helped them in the half court, which they need, Um, you know, would have helped them with three point shooting, which they badly need. And, you know, look, in the case of, like, Adanobia Bridges, they both have contracts that extend beyond next season. So if they don't want to re-sign Dylan Brooks to a big number in the summer, well, you've got one of those two guys able to step in and, and play a role. I just I tweeted this, and I, I, I'd say it again. Like, you know, if Memphis winds up getting cooked in the playoffs by Durant, by Luca, by, you know, the, the Paul George Kawhi transformer out in, in L.A., like that's – they're going to look back at the deadline and be like, damn, could we have done more? Like, could we have gotten one of those defensive players and, and plugged him in to have, you know, maybe tried to slow down one of these great wing stars in our conference.
0: Was it beyond Ananobi what they were looking for?
1: You know, you you saw that the, the deal for Kyrie to, uh, or sorry for Durant to uh, Phoenix didn't get announced right away. And that means a team is trying to expand it. So, you know, they could have talked to Brooklyn and, you know, it, you know, gotten bridges probably out of there and gotten somebody out of there. I mean, you know, the nets right now are flush with three and D guys, like all the, the, the kind of rare talents that are always in demand in the league. Brooklyn's got like five of them, you know, whether it's Dorian Finney, Smith uh, bridges, Royce O'Neill's had a terrific year in, in Brooklyn, you know, that one of those guys would have been very, very good in Memphis or very, very badly needed. I think in Memphis and for whatever reason, And maybe the price was just so high they couldn't get it done. But for whatever reason, they weren't able to add one of those guys to the deadline. And I I just get the feeling that come playoff time, we're going to be talking about this and and what didn't happen in February.
0: Last thing, I'll let you go on this. How far ahead are Boston and Milwaukee from the West?
1: Pretty significant. Um, They're just complete, right? They're good offense, good defense. Um, At times, they're great offense, great defense. And like Denver is... Really good offense, middle of the pack defense. The Grizzlies are really good defense, don't know how to play in the half court offense. Um, th- there's you know, th- there's just two more obvious weaknesses on these Western Conference teams where, like, to the point where if, if it is Boston Milwaukee in the conference finals, which I think it, it's got a good shot of being, um, that may be your finals right there, that may be your champion right there. And Boston, like. Milwaukee's kind of their boogeyman. They keep, they beat them a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, you look back at last year, no Chris Milton, they needed a Jason Tatum, a Herculean performance by Jason Tatum in game six, just to extend it. And then one at home in game seven, like that's, and I'm not going to sit here and say, Jay Crowder is going to make some massive impact after not having played since last May. Uh, but like, that's a nice pickup for them. Um, you know, that that's the team Boston I think is most worried about like Milwaukee and how Giannis plays against them, the matchup. So I Boston, and I got another big, you know, getting Mike Moscala, just another body that they could throw in front of Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez in that front court. They're they're forward thinking on, on that particular matchup because they, I mean, you saw like they had nobody and they still beat Philadelphia the other night. Uh, they've been very good against the Sixers over the years. And beyond that, like the Cavs, probably too young. Miami's having some problems. Like, I don't know that there's, Another team out there that scares them anywhere near as close as Milwaukee does.
0: Crossover NBA show and SI is Chris Mannix on Roundball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: My pleasure, anytime.